Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the Tuesday, January 10th episode. That would be episode uh, 132, I believe, of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. Uh, We're going to be continuing in our evening segment. We'll be continuing on with our study in John. We'll be moving in, um, to, to the very end of John chapter 3. Um, and again, we're moving on with the newer... Um, Read the Bible in a Year plan that we've swapped to for 2023. Um, I did have included the PD, uh, link to the PDF for that one in the show notes, but um, just know I've also kept the link in there for the uh, Robert Murray McShane reading plan. I would definitely encourage you to use that in your own personal reading. It's definitely worth doing more than one and continuing spending your time in the Word of God. So let's go ahead and open up this morning. We're going to go ahead, since it's Tuesday, we'll open up with the third day morning prayer. God, creator and controller. Let's pray. Most high God, the universe with all its myriad creatures is thine, made by thy word, upheld by thy power, governed by thy will. But thou art also the father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the holy scriptures, the joyful gospel, the savior of souls. We come to thee in Jesus' name. Make mention of his righteousness only. Plead his obedience and sufferings, who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty, and made it honorable. May we be justified by his blood, saved by his life, joined to his spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use not abuse its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary when we are tempted to wander. I'm sorry. Which are necessary when we are tempted to wander, hedge up our way excite in us abhorrence of sin, wean us from the present evil world, assure us that we shall at last enter Emmanuel's land, where none is ever sick, and the sun will always shine. Amen. All right, now the January 10th morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text for it um, is part of some of my favorite my favorite verses here. 2 Timothy 4.8 There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Doubting one, thou hast often said, I fear I shall never enter heaven. Fear not, all the people of God shall enter there. I love the quaint saying of a dying man who exclaimed, I have no fear of going home. I have sent all before me. God's finger is on the latch of my door, and I am ready for him to enter. But, said one, are you not afraid lest you should miss your inheritance? 
Nay, said he, nay, there is one crown in heaven which the angel Gabriel could not wear. It will fit no head but mine. There is one throne in heaven which Paul the Apostle could not fill. It was made for me, and I shall have it. O Christian, what a joyous thought thy portion is thought. Thy portion is secure. There remaineth a rest. But cannot I forfeit it? No, it is entailed. If I be a child of God, I shall not lose it. It is mine as securely as if I were there. Come with me, believer, and let us sit upon the top of Nebo, and view the goodly land, even Canaan. Seest thou that little river of death glistening in the sunlight? And across it dost thou see the pinnacles of the eternal city? Dost thou mark the pleasant country, and all its joyous inhabitants? Know then, that if thou couldst fly across, thou wouldst see written upon one of its many mansions. This remaineth for such a one, preserved for him only. He shall be caught up to dwell forever with good, poor, with God, sorry, poor doubting one. See the fair inheritance, it is thine. If thou believest in the Lord Jesus, if thou hast repented of sin, if thou hast been renewed in heart, thou art one of the Lord's people, and there is a place reserved for thee, a crown laid up for thee, a heart specially provided for thee. No one else shall have thy portion. It is reserved in heaven for thee, and thou shalt, ha shalt have it ere long. For there shall be no vacant thrones in glory when all the chosen are gathered in. Wow, what an amazing, amazing um, devotion. Um, if you've been brought to a saving faith in Christ, if you truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you have a surety. And how clearly Spurgeon indicated that there. Okay, let's go ahead and get into our reading. We're going to be starting in Genesis 23. Genesis 23. Hear the word of the Lord. And Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a sojourner and a foreign resident among you. Give me a possession for a burial site among you, that I be, may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial sites. None of us will refuse you his burial sites for burying your dead. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them, saying, it is, If it is your desire for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him, which is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as a possession for a burial site. Now Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth even of all who went in at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me, I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people I give it to you, bury your dead. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will only please hear me, I will give the silver for the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My lord, hear me. 
A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver? What is that between me and you? So bury your dead. So Abraham heard Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. So Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field that were within all the confines of its border, were deeded over to Abraham as purchased in the sight of the sons of Heth, before all who came in at the gate of his city. Of it, of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah his wife in the cave of the field at Machpelah, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for possession, for a burial site, by the sons of Heth. All right, and next we're going to do Genesis 24, reading verses 1 through 51. 1 through 51. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and Yahweh had blessed Abraham in every way. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who ruled over all that he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to my land and to my kin, and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I indeed take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, Beware, lest you take my son back there. Yahweh, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kin, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your seed I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if a woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master, and he went with all kinds of good things of his master's in his hand. So he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when the women go out to draw water. And he said, O Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, please cause this to happen before me today, and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be, wow, I just, now may it be that the young wo woman to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will give water to your camels to drink also, may she be the one whom you have decided for your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. And before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor, was coming out with her jar on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful in appearance, a virgin, and no man had known her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to, jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she hurried and emptied her jar into the watering channel and ran again to the well to draw. 
and she drew for all his camels. Meanwhile the man was gazing at her in silence, to know whether Yahweh had made his journey successful or not. Now it happened that when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her wrists, weighing ten shekels in gold, and said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there a place for us to lodge in your father's house? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she said to him, We have plenty of both straw and feed, and a place to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshipped Yahweh. And he said, Blessed be Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, Yahweh has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran outside to the man at the spring. Now it happened when he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of Rebekah his sister, saying, This is what the man said to me. He came out to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, Come in, blessed of Yahweh. Why do you stand outside, since I have prepared the house and a place for the camels? So the man came into the house. Then Laban unloaded the camels, and he gave straw and feed to the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have spoken my words. And he said, Speak. So he said, I am Abraham's servant, and Yahweh has greatly blessed my master. So he has become great, and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, and male slaves and female slaves and camels and donkeys. Now Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age, and he has given him all that he has. And my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. But you shall go to my father's house and to my family, and take a wife for my son. Then I said to my master, Suppose the woman does not follow me. And he said to me, Yahweh, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you, and will make your journey successful, and you will take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my relatives. Um... Now if they do not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. So I came today to the spring, and said, O Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, if now you will make my journey on which I go successful, behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and may it be that the maiden who comes out to draw, and to whom I say, Please let me drink a little water from your jaw, jar, and she will say to me, You drink, and I will draw for your camels also. She is the woman whom Yahweh has decided upon for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah was coming out with her jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew, and I said to her, Please give me a drink. Then she hurried and lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will also give water to your camels to drink. So I drank, and she also gave water to the camels to drink. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. And I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. And I bowed low and worshipped Yahweh, and I blessed Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, who had guided me in the true way to take the daughter of my master's relative for a son for his son. So now if you are going to show loving kindness and truth with my master, 
Tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The matter comes from Yahweh, so we cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as Yahweh has spoken. All right, and now Matthew 8. All right, Matthew 8. Now when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and was bowing down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was clean. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one. I'm sorry, I'm actually reading in the wrong place. No, I'm reading in the right place. Okay. Um, see that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest, and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not good enough for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goes. And to another, Come, and he comes. And to my slave, Do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she got up and began waiting for, on him. Now when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were ill. In order to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. All right. Oh, Sorry, I need to swap over the controls, and I'm sorry, I'm, I seem a little distracted because there's all kinds of stuff happening around me. <laughs> I'm trying to stay focused, and I apologize. All right, so now we're going to do Psalm 9, starting in verse 13 through the end of the chapter. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh. See my affliction from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made, in the net which they hid. Their own foot has been caught. Yahweh has made himself known. He has executed judgment. In the work of his own hands, the wicked is snared. Hegel. The wicked will return to Sheol, even all the nations who forget God. For the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted perish forever. Arise, O Yahweh, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Yahweh. Let the nations know that they are but men. 
All right, and Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 6. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart guard my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let loving kindness and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good insight in the eyes of God and man. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. All right. That is our reading for the day. Um, I do want to put out kind of a prayer request. It's not for me. Um, I do, oh, well, I do want to let you know I've reached the interview stage um, of having applied to um, a Christian podcasting, the Christian podcast community. Um, so I will be doing an interview um, here within the next two weeks with them. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I can be included with them. I've been very edified by a number of their podcasts, and there are many more that I would love to listen to. I, <laughs> I don't have 48 hours in a day, so I can't fit them all in. Um, but they've been wonderful. Um, and I just, you know, I, I, it, again, it's not, I don't do this for any kind of fame or, or acknowledgement or anything for myself, but the more that can hear the word of God, whether it's through my speaking or somebody else's, um, that's really what I'm hoping for. So it just, if it would, if it extends this ministry to do the will of God, if, if God's will is this ministry not extend, then, then that's totally in God's hands. And, and, and I'm okay with that. Um, cause it really is whatever God wills is what is supposed to be about. But the, but the prayer request I had is I've seen a number of folks that I do follow and I do keep track of, and I do really trust as brothers in Christ and in pastors and ministers and sh under shepherds, um, of Christ that are out there that have started, um, into another class in their doctors of ministry, um, studies over at a master's seminary, um, it's been wonderful to see what they've been posting. Um, and I would definitely put out, I would definitely ask for y'all to pray for them, uh, for their study, for their edification, for their lifting up, for their preparation to continue to be solid under shepherds for God. Um, they, most of them, well, all, all the ones that I know of already are, and I know they're, and I know their teachers, um, their professors that, that are, that are doing the classes for them are, are wonderful, are, are, people that I just, I thank God for every day because of the effects they've had in my own Christian walk. Um, and I think it's a wonderful combination. And I know that in this world, particularly in our country, but in this world as a whole, we need more godly men. And these men are taking the right steps to be those godly men. And they are sitting under the proper people to be better godly men and to fulfill their roles as under shepherds. And I would just ask that you pray for them, that God would bless everything about what is happening there at master seminary with this doctor of ministry position, which is, which is put together to better, to better shape them, to make them even more accomplished at being able to preach the word of God and to bring the gospel to all of mankind which is what our, what our purpose is, what, what I've told you, what I tell you multiple times a week. That's what our purpose is. All right, let's go ahead and close out this morning's section. We're going to close it with another Valley of Vision prayer. Uh, the one we're going to close with is called Spiritus Sanctus. Oh, Holy, uh, let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, as the sun is full of light, the ocean full of water, heaven full of glory, 
so may my heart be full of thee. Vain are all divine purposes of love, and the redemption wrought by Jesus, except thou work within, regenerating by thy power, giving me eyes to see Jesus, showing me the realities of the unseen world. Give me thyself without measure, as an unimpaired fountain, and inexhaustible riches, I'm sorry, as inexhaustible riches. I bewail my coldness, poverty, emptiness, and perfect vision, languid surface, prayer, prayerless prayers, praiseless praises. Suffer me not to grieve or resist thee. Come as power to expel every rebel lust, to reign supreme and keep me thine. Come as teacher, leading me into all truth, filling me with all understanding. Come as love, that I may adore the Father and love him as my all. Come as joy to dwell in me, move in me, animate me. Come as light, illuminate, illuminating the scripture, molding me in its laws. Come as sanctifier, body, soul, and spirit, wholly thine. Come as helper, with strength to bless and keep, directing my every step. Come as beautifier, bringing order out of confusion, loveliness out of chaos. Magnify to me thy glory by being magnified in me, and make me redolent of thy fragrance. Amen. Whew. Holy Spirit. All right, well, that is the end of our morning uh, devotion time. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful day. Again, I would implore you that, to go do all that you do for the glory of God. And God willing, I will see you this evening. Have a great day. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Tuesday, January 10th episode. That would be episode 123, or sorry, 132 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. And like I said um, in the morning segment, we're going to continue on in our study of the Gospel of John and John 3 at the end of it. So let's go ahead and jump straight in. Uh, we're going to go ahead and open up in prayer as we usually do. In this case, the prayer we're going to use from Valley of Vision is called Blessings. Blessings. Let's pray. Thou great three one, author of all blessings I enjoy, of all I hope for. Thou hast taught me that neither the experience of present evils, nor the remembrances of former sins, nor the remonstrances, remonstrances of friends, will or can affect a sinner's heart, except thou vouchsafe to reveal thy grace and quicken the dead in sin. By the effectual working of thy Spirit's power, thou hast shown me that the sensible effusions of divine love in the soul are superior to and distinct from bodily health, and that oft-times spiritual comforts are at their highest when physical well-being is at its lowest. Thou hast given me the ordinance of song as a means of grace." fit me to bear my part in that music ever anew, or ever new, which elect angels and saints made perfect. Now sing before thy throne and before the Lamb. I bless thee for tempering every distress with joy. Too much of the former might weigh me down, too much of the latter might puff me up. Thou art wise to give me a taste of both. I love thee for giving me clusters of grapes in the wilderness, and drops of heavenly wine that set me longing to have my fill. Apart from thee I quickly die, 
Bereft of thee, I starve. Far from thee, I thirst and droop. But thou art all I need. Let me continually grasp the promise. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. All right, and our devotion for this evening, the evening of January 10th, is the text is Job 19.26. In my flesh shall I see God. Mark the subject of Job's devout anticipation. I shall, I shall see God. He does not say, I shall see the saints, though doubtless that will be untold, will be untold felicity. But I shall see God. It is not, I shall see the pearly gates, I shall behold the walls of jasper, I shall gaze upon the crowns of gold, but I shall see God. This is the sum and substance of heaven. This is the joyful hope of all believers. It is their delight to see him now in the ordinances by faith. They love to behold him in communion and in prayer, but there in heaven they shall have an open and unclouded vision and thus seeing him as he is, shall be made completely like him. Likeness to God, what can we wish for more? And a sight of God, what can we desire better? Some read the passage, Yet I shall see God in my flesh, and find here an allusion to Christ as the Word made flesh, and that glorious beholding of him which shall be the splendor of the latter days. Whether so or not, it is certain that Christ shall be the object of our eternal vision nor shall we ever want any joy beyond that of seeing him. Think not that this will be a narrow sphere for the mind to dwell in. It is but one source of delight, but that source is infinite. All his attributes shall be subjects for contemplation, and as he is infinite under each aspect, there is no fear of exhaustion. His works, his gifts, his love to us, and his glory in all his purposes, and in all his actions, these shall make a theme which will be ever new. The patriarch looked forward to this sight of God as a personal enjoyment, whom mine eye shall behold and not another. Take realizing views of heaven's bliss. Think what it will be to you. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. All earthly brightness fades and darkens as we gaze upon it. But here is a brightness which can never dim, a glory which can never fade. I shall see God. All right. That was our devotion for this evening. So let's go ahead and get into our Bible study for this evening. So over the last couple of evenings, we've uh, been working our way through this section that is basically could be termed the final testimony of John the Baptist. This is his final testimony of of the Christ before he's imprisoned and then uh, eventually is beheaded by at Herod's command. Um, And so we've seen it. We broke it down into two sections. And then we broke the second section down into two parts. So the two second sections were the argument. We saw the argument where um, John the Baptist's disciples came to him and were like, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, this verse 26, to whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. So they were concerned because John's ministry is diminishing here. The people that were coming to him and as, and as massive as his ministry was and as successful as it was, so many were coming and wanting to be baptized. And that was not a normal thing. Like I told you, that was not a normal thing in that society. But they wanted to be baptized. They wanted to be clean. They wanted to repent. And so he was having a great effect. But now these people are going somewhere else. They're going over to this Jesus guy who's about 30 miles away. Um, but they're going over to this Jesus guy and his disciples are baptizing. And these John John the Baptist disciples are concerned about that. 
And so they ask him about it. And then we saw um, in verses, uh, let's see, verses 27 through 30, we saw how John the, John the Baptist responded and he made clear that he must become less. Um, and he states it clearly in verses 30, he's, he must increase, meaning the Christ, but I must decrease makes that very, very clear. And he goes through and explains why. I mean, he's clear to them that I'm not the bride. I'm the bridegroom. He, he said clearly, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent ahead of him. I'm, I'm here to prepare the way for him. I'm, I'm not the bridegroom. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. And the bride is not mine. The bride, the church, those that are coming to repentance and faith are the bride and they belong to the bridegroom. They belong to Christ. They belong to Jesus Christ. That's what he's making clear to them, that I must decrease, so he must increase. And we also talked about the fact that John was the last of the prophets, the last of the old guard. I mean, even though he was the first prophet in 400 years, and wow, how awesome that was, he was the last of them. He was also the first of the gospel preachers, but it was a change in the guard. It was a changeover in how things were going to be done. So he was the last of it, and he knew he and that system, the Mosaic system, had to decrease, had to go away because Christ's death and resurrection put paid to that mosaic system. It paid the appropriate sacrifice for that to be set for the mosaic system to be satisfied for that covenant to be satisfied and be done. And thus the new covenant, which is the gospel. John knew that John the Baptist knew that and he understood that. So we come to verse, so again, we're going to start from verse 30. And of course, it's kind of weird because we've always de already dealt with the second half of verse 30, but we're going to go back to the first part. Because like I said, we had this, the argument before, and then we had the affirmation. So the first part of the affirmation was John the Baptist saying he must become less. But then he goes on to indicate that Jesus must become more, that the Christ must become more, the Messiah must become more. He who John called the Lamb of God must become more. This is what he is telling them. So we go to the beginning of verse 30. And of course, this is kind of the transition verse between John must become less and Jesus must become more. So John the Baptist makes very, very clear. I mean, he must increase, but I must decrease. So he's making clear Jesus must increase. And then he goes on to explain it. So at verses 31 through 36, we see John provide us five reasons why Christ is supreme to him and why Jesus must become greater. Verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the, you know what? I'm sorry. I should have started reading verse 30 through 36, and then I'll come back to this. And I'm sorry, I'm being a little scattered here. So John three verses 30 through 36, he must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard of that he bears witness and no one receives his witness. He who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. 
Okay, so let's go back. Like I said, there are five reasons that John gives us in these verses, verses 31 through 36. So it's verse, verse 31, I'll read it again. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. So verse 31, he who comes from above, he's making clear that Jesus, that the Christ is divine. He's the son of God. And the Baptist indicates that the one that is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of earth, earthly things, meaning himself. But he who comes from above is above all. John is saying that the Christ is above all, that he is of heaven, that he is above all, that his knowledge is above all, that he speaks of having heavenly things, and he speaks with a knowledge above all. Again, John is comparing Jesus to, him, to himself who is of the earth. And he's not trying to belittle the message he's giving, but what he's trying to say is Jesus' witness, Jesus' testimony is above. It is of heaven. It is, it is above. It is of greater authority. Um, and again, when, when he's speaking of himself, when, um, he who is of the earth is from the earth. This is not um, the negative moral implication of earth or fleshly or any of that. But he's just indicating that he can only witness of what is going on on the earth. Whereas Christ witnesses what is from heaven. He's indicating that Christ's witness, the message he brings, is above any message John or any earthly minister can bring on their own. And our second reason that Jesus is above John is that Jesus has firsthand knowledge of the truth, the truth of God. Verse 32, what he has seen and heard of that he bears witness and no one receives his witness. So what he has seen and heard, he's talking of Christ. He's talking of Jesus Christ. What he has seen and heard of that he bears witness. What he has seen in heaven, what he knows of the truth of the gospel. That's what he's testifying of. of. John makes clear that when Jesus speaks of, speaks of when he, what he preaches of, what, when he talks, speaks, sp speaks of, or preaches God's truth, he's speaking of what he has seen and heard. It's not secondhand, thirdhand. This is firsthand knowledge. While John and other earthly ministers speak of what they've been told, in this case, the perfect firsthand knowledge of the truth provided by Jesus is above anything we on the earth can provide. Thus his knowledge is above John's. So Jesus must increase and John must decrease. John also points out that no one receives the testimony of Christ, even though it is, it is of the utmost authority. Uh, John 1, 9 through 11. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens everyone, enlightens everyone or is capable of it. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. They did not know him. He came to what was his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Verse 11. <laughs> did not receive him. John's saying the same thing. No one receives his witness. But again, he's testifying firsthand of his own firsthand knowledge of this. I mean, the, fa the fact is, even, even in our own courts of law, first-hand knowledge of something versus hearsay, second and third-hand, the first-hand has greater strength. John knows this, and that's why John is saying this. And we move into verse 33. He who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true. John speaks of the exception here, the exception to those who don't receive his witness. 
the person who receives the testimony of Christ places their seal on that testimony. They show their belief that God is true. Now they have, John 17, seven through eight. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. This is Jesus and his high priestly prayer speaking of the disciples that they have received his witness. They are the ones that you would be speaking of, that John the Baptist would be speaking of here in John 3.33. He who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God... God is true. Jesus' disciples, obviously except Judas Iscariot, had set their seal to this, that God is true and that the witness of Jesus Christ is true. Jesus is indica indicates that the word in, in that, in the high priestly prayer, pray, prayer, excuse me, that the words he has given to his disciples were the words he was given by God. We see throughout the Gospels, even during his trial, where Jesus makes clear that what he does and says is from the Father, and from the Father only. Thus he must increase. He's not human. I mean, he's fully God and fully man, but he's the Lamb of God. He can only do the Father's will, so he must increase. And the fourth reason here. In verse 34, so I'll read verse 34. For he whom God has sent speaks the word of God. <sighs> Sorry. For he whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. So the fourth reason is that Jesus received and experienced the Holy Spirit without limit. Christ speaks the word of God, and he has been given the Holy Spirit without measure, and he gives the Spirit without measure. Colossians 2, 9, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. All the fullness of deity and the fullness of the Holy Spirit dwells in bodily form in Christ. But he also gives that Spirit without limit to us, without measure. That's why he must increase. And the final reason in verses 35 and 36, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The final reason is that Jesus receives all authority from the father. He does the father's will and he receives all of his authority from the father. We also see here that John the Baptist indicates clearly that the person who believes in the Son, believe, who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, will have eternal life. However, he who does not obey the Son, meaning he who does not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the wrath of God will abide on him, meaning if you don't obey the Son, you're not obeying God, thus giving the Son the authority, just thus giving Jesus Christ that authority. He has all authority from the Father. So if you're not obedient to that, the wrath of God abides on you. The wrath of God abides on those that John the Baptist is speaking of. He's making clear to these disciples that, hey, that's great that I've had this ministry. But this is the Christ, the Son of God. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he is firsthand testifying of God's will 
and with God's authority and with God's power. So he must increase and I must decrease because the minute, because John the Baptist's ministry above everything else is about the Christ is, a, is about the new covenant. John the Baptist clearly shows us the supremacy of Christ here. He shows that Jesus is the only one through which we are able to be saved. There's nothing of this earth, nothing of this world that can provide any level of salvation. And we've got to understand that. Um, as I've stated before, the way I was brought to a saving faith in Christ was true was through being beaten down to the point of true humility being brought to a place of true humility and a realization that there was nothing i could do there was no way i could earn my way in that i would never be worthy never um as i've said before as i've quoted to you a friend of mine's email address fetid pond scum that was me still is in a lot of cases um, still is, actually in most cases, sad fact is. But due to the grace of God, I've been brought to a saving faith. And in that case, I have been diminished. I have been reduced. And Christ has been raised. I have been diminished. And Christ has been increased. That is how we walk as Christians that we ourselves recede into the background and Christ lives through, through us. It's like I quoted, yeah, I believe, believe it was from Philippians where, where Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But that's the thing. He's saying to live is Christ, that if he's truly walking as a Christian walk, that it's Christ who shows through him perfectly. And that's where we have to be. And that's where you have to be in our ministry. We have to see this. John the Baptist is a perfect example through these three evenings that we've gone over this, that this is how our ministry has to look. And if you sit there and tell me that, that you claim to be a Christian, but you have no ministry, you really need to check your salvation because the, it is very, very clear across the New Testament that if we are truly Christians, if we are truly adopted brothers and sisters of Christ, if we are truly the adopted children of God, if we have truly come to a saving faith in Christ, then we are to have a ministry. We are to get out there and we are to build the kingdom. We are to do God's work. I know Christ says that he will build the church and I'm not telling you that we're going to supplant that. But part of that is we're, we're the building blocks used. And as for us to be those building blocks, we have ministries and we've got to get out there and minister. And, and I'm not talking, everybody's going to be standing on a street corner. Or everybody's going to be doing a podcast or everybody's going to be leading a Bible study, but everybody's going to have a ministry. And in our ministries, we have to be lesser and Christ must be greater. Verse 30, he must increase. And as John said, but I must decrease, we need to say, but we must decrease in our ministries. It cannot be about us. And when we see ministries, when they are about the person doing the ministry and not about bringing the gospel, not about shining a light on Jesus Christ, not about proclaiming the wonderful, perfect gift 
of Christ coming and living a perfect life and then giving his life on the cross, climbing up on that cross and giving his life to face the wrath of God that you and I deserve to then die and rise again, to, to beat death and to provide for us eternal life and, and to be able to drape us in his perfect righteousness so that we can stand holy and blameless before a just and righteous God, a holy God. That's got to be what our ministry is, not about us. That's got to be at the forefront of our ministry. And honestly, that has to be the forefront of our walk in Christ. That it's not about us. That we're not at the forefront. But being worshipful of a holy God and striving daily to be imitators of Christ and imitators of God. So that the more and more people see us walk, they don't see us, but they see Christ in us. That's what John the Baptist is showing here over these last three evenings that we've dealt with. Verses 22 through 36 in John 3. Christ must increase and we must decrease. That's how it's got to be. All right. Let's go ahead and close like we do on every Tuesday. Um, with the third day evening prayer. It's called Before Sleep. God, Let's pray. God of all sovereignty, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy name most excellent, thy glory above the heavens. Ten thousand minister to thee, ten thousand times ten thousand stand before thee. In thy awful presence we are less than nothing. We do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners. Our necessities compel us, thy promises encourage us, our broken hearts inside us. The mediator draws us. Thy acceptance of others moves us. Look thou upon us and be merciful unto us. Convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin. Give us faith to believe and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his sufferings. Let us see thy hand in the instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing nor sorrow, duty. While living in a world of change, let us seek the abiding city. Be with us to our journey's end, that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to thee, keeper of souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our hearts pure, our sleep sweet, and with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever. Amen. All right. Well, that is our evening segment for tonight. I hope you've had a wonderful day. I hope our time together has been edifying and equipping for you, um, that it has lifted it up, and that it will come alongside you. I hope you have a wonderful evening, and God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning. God bless.